0: good morning everyone it's nice to see all of you this morning my privilege to be here to have this opportunity to minister the word of god to you would you please turn with me in your bibles to titus chapter three titus chapter three Titus chapter 3, and I'm going to read starting in uh, verse 1. I'm going to be reading a slightly different translation. Remind them to be in subjection to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be prepared for every good work, to defame no one, to be uncontentious, forbearing, demonstrating all meekness toward all men. For, formerly, we too were ignorant, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various desires and pleasures, leading life in malice and envy, detestable, hating one another, but when the kindness and benevolence of God our Savior appeared, not by righteous works that we did, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renovation by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. In order that, having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs according to hope of life eternal. And then when he gets to verse 8, he tells Titus how he's supposed to respond to what Paul just wrote. Faithful is the saying. In other words, what I just told you is reliable. You can count on it. You can bank on it. And Concerning these things, I desire that you affirm confidently. To the end, that those who have believed may be careful to maintain good works. These things are good or suitable, or even it could be translated beautiful. And profitable, that is valuable or useful to human beings, for everybody. So, what I just told you, Titus, is something that's useful and it's something that's valuable for everybody. So, it's useful for children, it's useful for teenagers. It's valuable for singles. It's profitable for married people. It's profitable for those that are old and for those that are young and for men and for women. Now, did I leave anybody out? If you're listening to this, did you belong in your own mind to one of those categories? You do, right? So it's profitable And suitable for you. It's profitable and suitable for me. It's a reminder. He says remind them. And so as we consider this useful for everybody. Valuable and good for everybody. Reminder from the Apostle Paul this morning. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on the ministry Of His holy word. Father, as we draw near to your holy presence this morning, we acknowledge our complete and total 100% dependence upon you. We have no safety net, we have no clever gimmicks, we completely rely upon the Holy Spirit. We totally depend on your grace and your presence and your power if there is to be any benefit spiritually to any of us from this word this morning. We pray for sinners and for saints. We pray that you would bless each appropriately by your word, but especially we pray that you would glorify your own great name because you are worthy that you would magnify the name of Jesus, that his kingdom would come in power and that your great name would be praised and would be honored and would be magnified in every heart that is here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now if I've said this over the years from the pulpit, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, Christianity is not for good people who never did anything wrong. Christianity is for bad people. Christianity is for people that deserve to go to hell. It's about grace. It's about God's kindness and mercy and goodness and love to people who don't deserve it, who haven't merited it, who could never earn it. If God were not of this disposition, we wouldn't even have a Bible, let alone the Christian religion. It's not for good people. To sinners, we say this. Once we were dead in sin. And we deserve to go to hell just as much as you do. But we're not going. And you don't have to go either. And what we want for you is the very same blessing and mercy and grace that God has so richly showered on us. And to Christians. We say this. Never forget. Brothers and sisters. What we were. Never forget. What God did for us. And never forget. What we were and what God did for us. And what that means. About how we ought to. Always to behave. And that's the reminder that we want to consider this morning. It brings us to our text where he says, Remind them to be. Now when I think of a reminder, I cannot help but think of my lovely, beautiful, wonderful wife of 43 years. She has these little reminders, and I never know when I'm going to run into them. They're little yellow sticky things, and sometimes there's one on the cabinet door. Sometimes there's one on the kitchen counter. Sometimes there's one on the front door on the way out. And they're reminding her all over the house of important things, things she knows but things that she's supposed to do so she doesn't forget. She has a reminder. And what Paul's saying to Titus is, you know, here in this passage, I'm going to write you some little yellow sticky notes that we as Christians need to be reminded of things that we know. It's nothing new. It's nothing you don't know. But he says, remind them. So you come to the piano and you put a little yellow sticky note on it. Put a little yellow sticky note on the front of the pulpit. Put one on the door on the way in. Put one on the door on the way out. Put one up on the wall and says, this is what I'm going to remind you about. So you don't forget it. Because you constantly, as Christians, all of us, we need to be reminded. There are things we need to keep in mind and never forget now i come to the skeleton of the text the skeleton of the text if you look at the skeleton and maybe that's a maybe that's kind of a gross illustration i don't know i hope not but how about know, a backbone that's probably just as gross but i'm just going to give it to you remind them to be because we also formerly were but he saved us. Remind them to be. Because we also used to be, but he saved us. Now that's the heart of it. So it's got three main focal points. Remind them to be. That's how we ought to live. And I, when I sent this email, and I think you've got uh, in your handouts or something, this basic outline, right? You got that in front of you? Okay, I didn't have these headings at the time. I told Pastor Bill, well, I'll come up with them later. But basically, this is what I come up with. What we ought to be, humility. What we used to be, depravity. What he did for us, mercy. So what it's about. It's got these little sticky notes, a yellow sticky note. The first one says, humility, don't forget that. You got your second little yellow sticky note. And what does it say? Depravity. Don't forget that. And you got your third one. Don't forget this. It's sticking right on the front door. Mercy. When you go out the door, mercy on a sticky note, out the door. Humility, depravity, mercy. Remind them what we ought to be. Gospel humility. Remind them what we used to be. Depravity. Remind them what he did for us. Mercy. He saved us. We used to be living in all kinds of sin. And that means we ought to behave with gospel humility. And that's what I want to tell you this morning. Thank you for coming. <laughs> why, why are you laughing? <laughs> because you've been you've been in a reformed baptist church a long time you know better huh you know better you can't fool you people no I can't fool you all right so you know now now look i mean we could take you know 17 weeks and preach this stuff because there's all kinds of stuff in there but i wanted to give you the big picture no no 17 week series this morning just the big picture right a gospel a reminder Uh, For Christians, a suitable and beneficial reminder don't ever forget gospel humility, human depravity, or divine mercy. Gospel humility, got the sticky note? Human depravity, divine mercy. Well, let's start with gospel humility. Never forget, brothers and sisters, as Christians, how we should behave. Never forget. Now, the way he presents this. You may want to study it in detail, but he structures it in terms of five different little infinitives that he uses in order to present how gospel humility relates when it comes into contact with different things. Now, how does gospel humility behave when it comes into contact with civil authority? How does it behave When it comes into contact with God's revealed will, revealed in his word. How does gospel humility act when it comes into contact with human suffering and need? How does gospel humility act when it comes into conflict with scandal and allegations of a scandalous nature? And how does gospel humility act when it comes into contact with conflict and wrong. So that's basically what he's doing. He's giving us a picture of gospel humility in action in different connections and in different relations in relation to civil authority, in relation to God's revealed will, in relation to human suffering, in relation to scandalous allegations and in relation to conflict and controversy and squabbling and fighting and being wronged and all that stuff, does that make sense? So, I just, I, I, again, I got to give you an overview this morning. That's all I could do. So, how does gospel humility react when it comes into contact with civil authority? It's respectful of civil authority. That's what he says. He says, uh, If you notice, remind then to be in subjection to rulers and authorities. It has a demeanor of respect for civil authority, behaves in a law-abiding manner. Well, how does it react or how does it connect to God's revealed will? Now, it's true there may be some overlap because God's revealed will also addresses the issue of civil authority. But this second word has a broader connection. It's talking about God's revealed will, revealed in his word. And when gospel humility comes into contact with God's revealed will in scripture, it is compliant. Remind them to be in connection with civil authority in subjection uh, to rulers and authorities in connection with God's revealed will remind them to be compliant, to be obedient, to have a conscientious willingness to do whatever God tells us to do in his word. Thirdly, he says, when we come into contact with human suffering and need, I, I tried to find One particular word to summarize this disposition, but basically it says, ready unto every good work. Gospel humility is servant-hearted. It is compassionate. It's willing to help. It doesn't have the attitude that says, look, I don't really have time for you. I'm not going to make time for you. Don't bother me with what you need. Because I'm more important and more valuable than anything you you have or need. And I, I just don't have the time to bother with you and what's bothering you and what's troubling you and what you're suffering. Don't tell somebody else about it. That's not the demeanor of gospel humility. But gospel humility is servant-hearted. Therefore, it's prepared and it's ready to every good work there's always a willingness to help when you can help with good conscience and in and consistently with regard to your other gospel responsibilities and stewardships there's a willingness to help people in need. humility is willing to do that arrogance is not and then with regard to scandal, how does gospel humility Respond when scandalous allegations are going around. It says literally blaspheming or defaming nobody. With regard to scandalous allegations and all the rest, it is tight lipped. It is both truthful, not taking up false reports, and discreet not spreading scandalous things about people all around the place to those that don't need to hear or know it. If somebody needs to know it, needs to hear it, part of the problem, part of the solution, reluctantly sometimes you have to say some things that are true that people need to know. But gospel humility is not looking to go spreading scandalous things about people all over the place that you don't even know are true in the first place, and secondly, that people don't need to hear. Does that make sense? Defaming no one. So a humble soul that's been impacted by the gospel is tight-lipped, servant-hearted, compliant, and respectful of civil authority. And then there's something else he says about a soul marked by humility. He says, not to be contentious, But gentle or forbearing, showing all meekness to everybody. When gospel humility comes into contact with conflict and wrong, it is peaceable and conciliatory. It's not inflammatory. It's not stirring up strife. Only by pride comes contention. But with gospel humility, there is peacemaking. There is a peaceable spirit of conciliation that tries to tone down and calm down conflicts and resolve them amicably and in a peaceable and biblical and God-honoring way. It's not always going around stirring up trouble. Remind them to be. In connection with conflict, peaceable, peacemaking, conciliatory. Connection with scandals, tight-lipped. Speaking what they know to be true and nothing more. And only saying things that are negative when they have to be said. Not spreading them around to people that have no need to know it. With regard to the needs of people, servant-hearted and willing to show compassion and mercy whenever you can to those who are in need. With regard to what God says in his word, compliant, and with regard to civil authority, respectful. So let's remind them, this is gospel humility. This is how it behaves. This is what we ought to be as Christians. This is the way we should live. Remind them, you got the sticky note? Remember to live with humility. Don't forget, don't forget gospel humility. But then... Look at what he says about why we should live with gospel humility. And what he says about why we should live has these last two points. Depravity and mercy. We should live our lives as Christians with gospel humility because we also once were. And he goes through a long litany of things that we used to be before we were saved, but he saved us. So, the, the, the foundation of gospel humility is genuine conversion and remembering your own depravity before you were saved, and remembering and never forgetting what God did for you in saving you, when you remember what you were and you remember what he did for you, that fuels a life of gospel humility. Make sense? Does, right? So then he says, all right, here's the second sticky note, and that's human depravity. Don't forget, never forget what you used to be. And now he describes what we used to be. And again, I mean, we could have seven sermons on this, I suppose, because he uses seven different ideas with adjectives and participles. And he strings them all together to give a picture of what Christians were, how we used to live before God saved us. And the first of those things that he says about us, is that we were ignorant. Ignorant. We didn't know nothing about nothing about God, about his word, about his work. We were ignorant and we were disobedient, secondly, to God and to his revealed will. We wanted to sin without having our conscience even bother us for it. We were deceived, thirdly, about ourselves, about our sin Even though we were wretched, hell-deserving sinners, we thought we were good people. We thought, "Oh, I never did anything all that bad. I mean, we were ignorant, disobedient, and self-deceived. Furthermore, we were enslaved. We wouldn't admit that we were the slaves of sin, but it says we were enslaved to various, all kinds of, of desires or sinful desires, which could be translated lusts, and pleasures. Actually, the Greek word is a word from which we get hedonism. We were hedons. We were enslaved to pleasures and sinful desires of every kind. Some of us were enslaved to sexual Sins, some of us on power trips, some of us were greedy, some of us were selfish, some of us were arrogant and self-righteous, and we were the slaves of those sins. We were the slaves of greed and control and power and sexual lust. We were slaves of every kind of sin there is, various desires and pleasures, We were slaves. We were ignorant, deceived, disobedient. Christianity is not for good people who never did anything wrong. That's not who we are. That's not who we were. We were enslaved and furthermore, we were leading life in malice and envy. We're fundamentally selfish people that didn't really care about other people. We were detestable. That is, easy to hate. And finally, we were hating one another. We didn't hate everybody, but we were full of animosity to other people. That's not a very nice picture of what we were, is it? It's a picture of human depravity. It's a picture of what we were before God saved us, what we were in a state of sin. And Paul says to Titus here, put this on a sticky note and stick this on the door of the church so that when they come in here, they don't forget what they used to be. Don't let them forget it. I want you to say this with confidence because this is a reliable saying. The people that are now saved used to be hell-deserving sinners in the state of sin. And in the state of sin, they were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. They deserved to go to hell as much as anybody else. They were ignorant. They were disobedient. They were self-deceived. They were the slaves of all kinds of sin Their hearts were full of envy, malice, and selfishness. They were easy to hate. They were odious, detestable people. And they themselves were filled with hate. This is what we were. This is the human depravity that characterized us before God saved us. You identify with that? Apostle says, brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of this. If we want to be humble. Because whatever we see people in the world doing. There's only one thing that we can honestly say about it. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Are they deceived? So was I. Are they ignorant? So was I. Are they enslaved to all kinds of lusts and pleasures? So was I. Are they despicable? So was I. Are they full of hate? So was I. There but for the grace of God go I. What made me any different? Not any good thing in me. Human depravity marked me just like it marks anybody around me that I see, living in the world, living in sin. Christianity not for good people that never did anything wrong. It's for people who deserve to go to hell. Hateful, hating, despicable, enslaved to sin, deceitful, disobedient, ignorant, people just like us. Bad people. Hell-deserving sinners. But brings me to a little good news. The final sticky note. Put it on the door. Stick it up on your head so you can see it all the time. This is one you never want to forget. This is what I was. Yeah, okay. I should always remember what I'm supposed to be and do. That's right. I should be a humble person. And that humility should manifest itself whether it content, whether my life comes in contact with civil authority or God's revealed will or these other issues. And I should never forget what I used to be and the things of which I am now ashamed. I'm ashamed of my ignorance and my being enslaved to sin and the hate that was in my heart. And what an evil, sinful, hell-deserving wretch I used to be. I'm ashamed of that right now. And I need to remember that. Never forget it if I want to live humbly when I come into contact with other sinners. But the final thing. The really good news is look what God did for me. Look what God did for you, dear Christian. The final sticky note doesn't have duty of gospel humility in it. Doesn't have human depravity written on it. It's got written on it, divine mercy. Never forget, divine mercy. Mercy. Remember what God did for us. He converted us. But he saved us. He changed our lives. Blessed be God. He changed our lives radically. He changed our lives permanently. Various ways you can outline what he says about this. Because the structure of it is unusual. I will get into the grammatical points. I just want to look at the roots of conversion, how he saved us, from what root it came, the blessings of conversion, and then the blessed fruit of conversion. The root, the fountain of conversion, the cause of it is God's unconditional sovereign love. This is what I used to be. Disobedient, enslaved, dead in my sins, but blessed be God, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for human beings, it would be letter for letter equivalent philanthropy, appeared. And he's saying that these two things are to be considered together as one because the verb is not plural but singular when these things combined as one idea, God's great goodness and love, when it appeared, when it showed up in my life, this is what I was doing. This is what I used to be. And then God's love showed up. God's mercy appeared. He saved us. Not according to any good works that I did, but according to his mercy. Mercy looks upon my misery, looks upon human suffering. It looks upon helplessness. Divine mercy sees sinners dead in sin, suffering in sin, with an eternity of suffering ahead of them and unable to rescue and save themselves And in divine mercy, he rescues hell-deserving sinners that can't save themselves. And that mercy is a practical display of his love for humanity and his great goodness. Later, he calls it grace, that being justified by his grace. Mercy and grace together. Grace has a special focus on what we deserve. What we deserve is damnation. Mercy! has a special focus on what we need and our own inability to provide it. Mercy, grace, goodness, love. Those are the roots. That's the fountain from which our conversion flows. It's all of God's love. It's all of God's goodness. It's unconditional love. When we were dead, he loved us and made us alive. He loved us when we were living in all these sins. He loved us when we were ignorant and deceitful and disobedient and self-deceived and enslaved. When we were all that, he set his love on us. His goodness reached down to us. It appeared in our lives. He showed up and he saved us. Unmerited, unconditional love, grace, grace. And mercy. That's the fountain, dear people of God, from which your salvation, your conversion flows. And then consider that he also speaks about the blessedness of conversion, the blessings, the irrevocable, that is, that can never be revoked or taken away. Benefits and blessings of conversion. And he mentions the moral blessing, regeneration. The experiential blessing, the presence and gift of the Holy Spirit. The legal blessing, justification. See how he puts it. He says, but he saved us. Verse 5. The moral blessing through the washing of regeneration... And renewing of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, the experiential blessing, which or whom he poured out on us richly, verse 7, that being justified by his grace, the legal blessing, the legal blessing, justification, experiential blessing, the presence of God with us by the Holy Spirit in our lives. The moral blessing, regeneration, the moral renewal of our whole soul. So we have God's operating room where as a moral spiritual surgeon, he comes in and takes out the heart of stone, the wicked evil heart of unbelief, and he puts in a new heart. He morally renews us, recreates us morally. Gives us repentance, gives us faith, regenerates us, gives us spiritual life, raises us to spiritual life from spiritual death. It's all of God and the moral heart transplant that he did for us. His operating room. And then he talks about the living room. This very same Holy Spirit. When we believe, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is a down payment of our inheritance. If any man does not have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. When anyone believes in Christ at that very moment, not after conversion years later, but at conversion, at the moment of conversion, upon the exercise of saving faith, he pours out the Holy Spirit. And makes us his temple. Makes us the place of his special presence. He comes to live in us and abide with us. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And gives us a foretaste of our inheritance in heaven. And then he says, that's the experiential blessing. He comes to live in us as the spirit of adoption. As the spirit of truth. As the spirit of the Father and of the Son. And when he comes to live in us, we cry through his ministry, Abba, Father. And then he speaks about the legal blessing, being justified by his grace, by his unmerited favor. He constitutes us legally righteous and declares us to be such, not on the ground of any works that we ever did, not on the ground of our faith, but on the ground of Jesus Christ's perfect life, and atoning death, the virtue of Jesus imputed to us, transferred to our record because of grace alone, received by means of faith alone. When we believe at our conversion, he clears our record and declares us to be righteous on the ground of Christ because of grace by means of faith. When we believe in him at our conversion, he gives us the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in our hearts. When his love appears and when he shows up in our life, takes out the heart of stone and regenerates us and brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's how he saved us. That's how he converted us. That's what he did for us. Blessed be God. That's what we were. That's what he did for us. So all, why did he do this? What's the fountain from which this flowed? It was God's unconditional love, mercy, goodness, grace. What did he do for us? Moral, experiential, legal blessing, operating room, living room, courtroom, regenerates us, morally renews us, gives us the Holy Spirit, justifies us on the ground of Christ. All that at conversion. That's what he did when he saved us. That's what he did. Paul says, put that on a sticky note. Don't forget what God did for you. Don't forget any of that. Don't forget all he did for you. And then remember this last thing. And that is the result. In order that. Now why did he convert us? What's the result or intent or design and result of that conversion? In order that. He says. We would become heirs. According to the hope. Of eternal life. He converted us. From a life of wickedness and sin in order that we would live the rest of our lives in hope in this world and then in the age to come we would have eternal life in heaven and in the new heavens and earth with him forever that's the result of conversion that's what he did for us say this is too good to be true no dear people the best thing about it is it is true It's all true. This is a reliable saying. I want you to be confident about it. Because this is the kind of stuff that's good for people to hear and beneficial and suitable. This is the kind of stuff they need to hear. They don't need to be wrangling, as he goes on to say, about this and that and the other bit of nonsense. This is the kind of stuff you need to be sure about it. This is reliable. This is the truth. Remind them of these things. Remind them about gospel humility. Remind them about human depravity and remind them about divine mercy that saved us out of unmerited sovereign love that blessed us at our conversion. With regeneration, the gift of the spirit and justification, moral, experiential, legal blessing. And it did all this so that the rest of the time we spend on earth after we're converted would be spent in hope and in confident expectation that because God is for us, nothing can ever be against us. And the end of the Christian life is glory, hope on earth and glory forever. That's the result. That's his intent. That's his design. Does that make you want to sing? hope so. Make you want to rejoice? Make you want to say, thank you, God? Does it make you want to live a humble life? When you remember what you were, and you remember what God did for you, doesn't that produce in us a humility that wants to be respectful of civil authority and compliant with whatever God says and servant-hearted to do whatever good I can do for people in need with within the dictates of possibility, opportunity, and stewardship? doesn't want to spread a bunch of garbage around about people that I don't have to talk about I don't want to focus on that stuff and when there's conflict I I want to make peace isn't that what it produces in you brothers and sisters isn't that what it makes you want to be and do sticky note gospel humility human depravity divine mercy well that's what I want to say to you this morning from the text somebody's here this morning and you're not saved let me end where i started christianity's not for good people that never did anything wrong it's for people that are deceived and disobedient and hell deserving sinners god had mercy on us We deserve to go to hell just as much as you do. We're no better. We're not morally superior because we're Christians. But we deserve to go to hell every bit as much as you do. But you know what? We're not going. You know what else? You don't have to go either. Jesus Christ is sincerely, genuinely offered to you freely. He says, come to me everyone that's laboring and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I'm meek, lowly of heart. Whosoever is willing, let him come. Take the water of life freely. Why will you die? For I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that he turn and live. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. For if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And him that comes to me, I'll never, never cast out. The very same mercy that he showed to us, he offers to you. He offers it to you sincerely and freely. Call upon him. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is alive, and he's able to hear you, and he's willing to save all who ask him to save them in faith and in gospel repentance. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, I, I just say this in closing. Remember these things. Don't forget this. Remember it. Remind yourself. You got to put a little sticky note around the house. Put a little sticky note. Doesn't have to be yellow, but could be. Put it around the house. Say, gospel humility, human depravity, divine mercy. Don't forget those things. May God be pleased that we would remember them for our good and His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for this reminder. And we pray that by the Holy Spirit we would take it to heart, that we would never forget how we should behave, and you would increase the gospel humility in all the lives of every Christian here, that we would never forget what we were. We would always remember the things of which we are now ashamed. We would never forget them so that we would not become arrogant and puffed up. And also, Lord, that we would never, ever forget what you did for us, how much you loved us, what you did for us in that love, the price you were willing to pay to convert us, and the hope that we have, that with gratitude and thanksgiving we would praise and adore you And live for your honor and glory. So do not let your word come back empty. But please let it accomplish blessing, saving, sanctifying in every person that hears it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.